0: Today's verse is from Philippians 4, 1 to 3. Um, If you're able, if you could please stand in reverence of the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life this is the word of the lord dan read for us from philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. it's a it's a passage about disagreements disagreements over 20 years ago a linguist named deborah tannen she wrote a book titled the argument culture and in this book, she described what she calls agonism. Agonism, it's from the Greek word for, for struggle or fight, the word that we get agony from. And she defined this idea of agonism as, as taking a warlike stance in contexts that are not literally war. She she writes in that book about how we often we often disagree with others as if we are doing battle. Here's what she means. When, when, when we talk about arguments, for instance, we use words like attack and defend, right? It's the language of war. We, we might say that, that so-and-so got destroyed in that argument or that debate, or, or so-and-so got owned. And again, it's the language of violence and aggression, and it's pretty common. Tannen, she wrote that, these words in her book, she said, agonism... Pervades our public and private discourse, leading us to approach issues and teach and each other in an adversarial spirit. The resulting argument culture makes it more difficult to solve problems and is corrosive to the human spirit. The style of communication, she says, where we see a disagreement as an opportunity to go to war, it makes it more difficult to solve problems. And it's corrosive to the human spirit. In some ways, Dr. Tannen is confirming what the Bible tells us. That was 20 years ago that she wrote that book. And and more recently, she reflected this way. She said, When I was writing my book, The Argument Culture, in the late 1990s, I felt a sense of urgency because I believed that the moment for its message, that our public discourse had become destructively adversarial, might have peaked. How ironic that concern now seems. Today, she says, the argument culture sounds like an extreme understatement. The combat culture would be more apt. I think she's on to something. When folks discuss issues in our day, issues related to, say, government, race, education, health care, economics, don't, don't the discussions sometimes seem combative? adversarial think about the way it's done on news outlets think about the way it's done on social media and the style of interaction has actually found its way into christ's church we see it in discussions about what the bible teaches discussions about theology online and face to face especially when when those the Bible teaching or those th- th- uh, issues of theology intersect with politics and race and health care and economics, etc. Disagreements so often lead to suspicion and accusations, to demonizing one another. The church has damaged itself deeply. Christians are, are wounding one another all in the name of being right. The fact is, it may be getting worse, but it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Paul the Apostle, he wrote the Book of Philippians as a letter to a church that was experiencing internal conflict. In the first couple of chapters of this letter, he, he urges these people towards peace, towards unity. He says things like this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by, listen, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. By the time the Apostle Paul gets to chapter 4 in his letter, he starts to get a lot more specific. He calls out two particular people by name. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Again, these words that Dan read to us. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You see, Paul had heard that these two women were fighting. At least they were disagreeing. And we don't know what the source of the conflict was. We know this much. It was serious enough to require apostolic intervention. And by the way, this letter would have been read read publicly in a church gathering, like this one, in someone's home. Out loud. And he's naming names. Think about how uncomfortable that is. Imagine it. That's how serious this issue was. Agree in the Lord, he says. Agree in the Lord. And we have to ask what that means because it's relevant for all of us. Like I said, conflict over opinions and over uh, strongly held beliefs, that's nothing new, but but it's heightened in our culture. it looks different, perhaps, than or, or more intense than it has even recently. I could prove that, I think. If I went around here asking each of you some questions, if I walked around with a mic and I, and I said, brother, sister, w- would you please tell us which major political party, if any, should all Christians support? Or... or Or brother, sister, tell us all, what's your take on the role of racism in American history? What role does systemic injustice play in America right now? What are your thoughts on the pandemic while you're at it? Share that with us. Let's have a little conversation over that. What are your thoughts on the government's handling of the pandemic? What are your views on government vaccination mandates and personal liberty? I get nervous just thinking about what a conversation like that would look like in a a group this big. We've got plenty to disagree about, brothers and sisters, but the fact is that sometimes we do a really bad job of disagreeing. Sometimes that might look like avoiding disagreement altogether. Sometimes it looks like engaging in disagreement, but in a way that does damage, that hurts. You might say that we have lost the ability to disagree well and and God wants to correct that in us he wants us to learn to disagree well so what does it mean to agree in the Lord as Paul says it it can't mean everyone have the same opinions on everything I mean that's not even realistic is it and notice when the Apostle Paul speaks to these two women and calls them out he doesn't take sides He didn't say, listen, everyone, Syntyche's got a point. You odia, apologize, and tell her she's right. And put this whole thing to sleep. Squash it. It doesn't even mean, hey, listen, folks, come to a compromise. Both of you, budge a little on your stance so that you can finally agree. That certainly can help sometimes, and sometimes that's a solution to some of our conflict. It's useful, certainly, in in business negotiations and in government negotiations, but that's not what this is about. This goes deeper than that. It's not what the language means. Literally, the language means this, be of the same mind. Or, set your minds on the same thing. Euodia, Syntyche. Set your minds on the same thing. In other words, think about it this way, focus together on the same thing. It happens to be the same language that the Apostle Paul uses again and again in this book. He keeps coming back to it. Back in, in chapter 2, verse 2, which I, I just read a couple of minutes ago, he uses that same language. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, he uses it again when he says this, I want to hear that you are all standing firm in one spirit with, look, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want to hear that you're of one mind, that you're focused on the same thing. Look, when we argue, we're liable to focus on all sorts of things like winning, like gathering ammunition, like dismantling the other person's position, finding holes in their argument, inconsistencies in their character, inconsistencies in their words. We, we, can, we have so much to focus on. We can, we can argue focusing on how right we are, how stupid they are, We focus on what we're going to say next once they finally be quiet and give us a chance. We can simply set our minds on just trying to be right and obsess over any one of those things. Paul is saying set your mind on something else altogether in the middle of conflict. Set your mind on the same thing, quote, in the Lord. And that little phrase there matters if we're going to understand what he's saying. Because that little phrase, in the Lord, is something that Paul repeats a lot also. In order to understand what it means, we, have to, we really should go back to chapter 2, to one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible, for my money. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This, is, this comes right out, and actually, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or, 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 or click open uh, to, to this passage so that you can see how this works. This is immediately after that, that first time that the Apostle Paul told his, these people to be of the same mind. We read it earlier in chapter two, verse four. He says, "He says, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full of accord, be, be in full of accord, be of one mind." And then immediately after that, verse five, look what he says: "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this particular mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise be to Christ. Here is, in these words, in this little paragraph here, we see the same mind that the Apostle Paul is telling Christians to have. Here's the same mind we're all called to have. When he says, agree in the Lord, he's saying, set your mind on who Jesus is. Set your mind on what he's done. Allow your minds to be so deeply influenced by him, so shaped by him, that you will have his mind. You will share his way of thinking. And here's why that matters. When you disagree with each other. Because when you're disagreeing with each other, you need to to know when we have the same mind together, when we both are striving to have the mind of Christ in the middle of this conflict, we will see each other the way that Christ sees us. I will see you through the eyes of Jesus. And you will see me through the eyes of Jesus. We will see each other as Jesus sees us, and this will completely transform the way that we disagree, the way that we argue. It'll change everything. So you see, the Apostle Paul isn't simply saying, when he says agree in the Lord, he's not saying, look, find a compromise here, both of you, or or abandon your opinions and both of you agree on the same opinion. He's not saying that have the same mind, set your mind on the same thing, involves setting our minds on Christ, who He is, what He has done, and allowing His way of thinking, His way of seeing others, and seeing the world, and seeing Himself to so shape our minds that our perspective changes completely. So that, yes, I might hold the same opinion, and I might disagree with your opinion, but now as we engage in conflict, I'm seeing you the way Jesus sees you. And you're seeing me the way that Jesus sees me, and that changes everything. So let's look at this briefly. If we're going to agree in the Lord, here's the first thing we need to think about. If we're going to agree in the Lord, you must see one another the way that Jesus does. We must see one another the way that Jesus does. Let's go back to our passage. Philippians 4, chapter 1. I mean, chapter 4, verse 1. And think about about how Paul sees the Christians that he's writing to. Notice that before he even calls out these, these fighting women by name, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, is implied there, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. My beloved. That's how Paul viewed the people that he's writing to. Because they shared faith in Jesus. And and their shared faith in Jesus had made them a family. It had fostered affection and commitment between them. He says, I long for you. You're my joy and crown. And he viewed them that way because that's how Jesus viewed them. Jesus died to have them. The Apostle Paul adopted Jesus' perspective. That's what he's calling us to do toward one another. At the most basic level, we can at least say this. The Apostle Paul remembers that he's talking to real people here. Made in God's image. We we sometimes, we fight in a way that dehumanizes. We we get so caught up in in an issue or issues that, that we fail to remember that behind every set of beliefs is a person whom God loves. We forget that when we get so caught up in expressing and and defending our views. Forget that we're talking to and about people. Made in the image of God. The other night I, I told a Christian woman, I hadn't seen in a long time, she knew my wife from way back, and so... I'd seen her for the first time in a long time, and she was asking about how my wife was doing, and I told her a little bit about what's going on in our lives, and I told her that my wife had lost her father to COVID-19 last year. And, and another Christian woman who happened to be present during that conversation responded to, to my statement. She said, well, you know, at that age, something is bound to get you. And I thought that's an odd thing to say, isn't it? To someone who just expressed grief over loss. Well, at that age, something's bound to get you. I saw, and, and as far as I could see, and, and given what she went on to say next, it was clear that what this woman was doing was expressing a strongly held view on this virus and all the issues surrounding it. What followed from her were comments on how the pandemic had been handled, the relative threat or non-threat of the virus, and and mind you, this was not a conversation about COVID. We weren't talking about that. I was updating someone on my life and on my wife's life. And I mentioned this loss. And someone there responded that way. And it made me think when did Christians start talking to each other this way? What happened? to expressing sorrow, simply, in the face of loss. Simple, I'm sorry to hear this. This must be hard for you. At that age, something is bound to get you. Seems like an odd way to respond to someone. I wonder, do we say such things when someone loses an elderly loved one to cancer or stroke? She was stating a view. She was speaking to an issue. I think with very little regard to the people involved. Maybe she thought I was trying to state my view. I wasn't. But but look, could it be that we all are, we're so taken up with our arguments, so ready to fight for our opinions and our stances that we can't simply grieve with those who grieve, or rejoice with those who rejoice. We see everything as an opportunity to express and defend our views. Brothers and sisters, we need to see our so-called adversaries not as adversaries, but as humans made in the image of God. And, And more than that, within the household of faith, we need to see those with whom we disagree as siblings for whom Jesus died, who Jesus longs for, his beloved we'll be much less likely to say insensitive, hurtful things to Jesus' beloved when we realize who they are. And that's part of what it means to agree in the Lord. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names Are in the book of life. Paul identifies these sisters as co laborers, not subordinates, not problems to be dealt with. No, he honors them. They are valued comrades who believe and defend the same gospel. Their names are written in the book of life, he says. That means that what what unites them to God and to us eternally is eternal. They are the elect children of Yahweh. The disagreements we have might not be petty. They may be serious disagreements that have to be worked out. But we will work them out best when we remember this person's name is in the book of life this is one with whom i will serve jesus eternally we need to see everyone else the way jesus sees them practically speaking in in our conflicts with other believers this means we we need to see each other as siblings desired and loved we need to acknowledge faithfulness where you see it that's what paul does he says these are faithful sisters They're engaged in this conflict, but that doesn't define them. They're fighting badly right now, but that doesn't define them. No, they have a track record for faithfulness. He honors them. And and that humbles us when we remember that the people that we're in conflict with may have a a long track record of faithfulness. That they are good people whom God is at work in, whose God's grace is, is, is transforming. It humbles us when we start thinking about our quote-unquote opponents that way, whoever it is we happen to be fighting with. Practically speaking, this means we can't assume or assign evil motives to one another. We cannot misrepresent each other's views. Which is something that seems to happen so often. Those are violations of the ninth commandment. It's a You're bearing false witness against your brother or sister when you assume and assign evil evil motives to them or you misrepresent their positions. Practically speaking, it means that we can't just caricature people and categorize them. We're so quick to do that. Someone shares a view or an opinion and we say, oh, they're that kind of person. Oh, you're one of those folks. I know exactly where to pigeonhole you. No, instead, instead, agreeing in the Lord, this principle drives us to understand one another's views. To understand his or her's perspective and why they hold them. Simply put, it means listening to one another. Listening with an open heart and an open mind. Have you ever thought about how Jesus listens to us? He already knows what we're going to say. And that some of it's going to be really dumb, but he still li- and some of it's not even going to be true, but he still listens to us patiently. He welcomes the expression of our hearts to him. Agreeing in Christ requires us to do the same thing for each other. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together... He says, the first service, the first service that I owe to others, that one owes to others in the fellowship, consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to His Word, so the beginning of love for the brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us, look, that He not only gives us His Word, but He also lends us His ear." He patiently listens. So it is his work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to him. Doing God's work when you listen quietly, even when you don't agree. It's an act of love. And it's also wise, practically speaking. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I almost feel like this proverb can be written over like my generation. It could be written over our culture. Fools that take no pleasure in understanding another's views, another's story, another's perspective, but only in expressing his opinion. Can you relate to that? You ever feel that way? Like like you ju- you just you're, you're done listening. I, I just want you to know how I feel right now what i think so that you can agree and we can be done with this practically speaking listening patiently increases the chance that you'll understand someone and their perspective and even if you don't end up agreeing listening allows us to be able to state someone else's position in a way that they would agree with which is a key to being able to disagree well it's part of seeing them through the eyes of christ yeah, Jesus never twists our words or jumps to conclusions about us. He never assumes the worst about us. or Yeah, and we don't have the advantage of being all-knowing, omniscient like him. So if we're going to understand the person with whom we're disagreeing, we better listen and we better, better listen well to our brothers and sisters whom we love and long for. Our beloved fellow workers whose names are in the book of life if you love Jesus do you see other Christians that way even the ones you disagree with this is certainly hard to do but I will say this that disagreeing well always works better in the context of a relationship in the context of community the fact is that the less connection we have with one another, the harder it is to walk this out well. It's why arguing online or via text and email often goes so badly. It's why arguing with strangers makes no sense at all. And arguing online with strangers, is, that's insane. Why would we ever do that? Why would I ever do that? Full transparency, I've done that. (laughs) We need to see each other the way that God, the way that Christ sees us. Also, secondly, and let's move on, if we're going to agree in the Lord, our goals must be Jesus' goals. Our goals must be Jesus' goals. Notice the, the focus on the gospel in this passage. Paul says these are co-laborers. We've been about the same mission. He's saying, don't forget that. Our goal is to communicate and reflect, uh, embody the gospel. Jesus, That gospel that tells us that Jesus Christ died to to reconcile sinners to God. He, He became a servant. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. For what? For us. So when we attack each other, we're not communicating that truth to one another, first of all. We're not communicating the gospel when we go on the offensive against each other. And we're certainly not communicating that gospel to the world that sees it. The fact is that the way Christians attack and devour each other sometimes just undermines and discredits the gospel. It's in direct opposition to Jesus' stated goals. His stated goal for us is that we would prove that we are his people by loving one another. John 13.35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's his stated goal. Here's another goal. His goal is that we would know him and be conformed to him, become like him. How can I aim for that goal when really what I'm after is proving to everyone that I'm right? How can we go after that if our goal is to win? We're not even willing to be persuaded and change. We're not even persuaded to listen. How can we be instruments in the hands of of, of this Christ when we want people to really be more like us rather than more like Him? We're more interested often in getting others to share our views rather than seeing them grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Gentleness. You know, in, in, in Acts chapter 15, there's a, we're not even, we don't have time to look at it, but there's, a, there's an amazing story there about uh, two Christian brothers, Paul and Barnabas, both servants of God, who have a sharp disagreement over a third person, Mark. And this agreement was a serious one. It didn't just disappear, in fact, this disagreement led to Paul and Barnabas splitting up and doing ministry separately. But it's amazing to see as we read through that and the rest of the New Testament, we find out that these two men still were of the same mind. They weren't of the same opinion with regard to Mark and whether or not he should stick around and keep working with them. But they were of the same mind in this sense, in the Lord. In the sense that they continued to love and respect one another as Christ did. Paul still calls Barnabas an apostle of Christ, his beloved And they both had the same goal, Christ's goal, to communicate and embody the gospel. They had different views on how to do that. And so they separated and went about ministries separately doing that. In the end, the Apostle Paul's opinion seems to have changed somewhat regarding this this third individual mark. But even if his opinion hadn't changed, this story still shows us what agreeing in the Lord can look like. Even when our views diverge sharply, but our goal can't be to win, to be proven right, to correct everyone else's errors. That won't get us here. Listen to what John Newton, at one time a slave trader, eventually author, hymn writer and pastor, he says. He, he was talking about controversy here. He says, We find but very few writers of controversy who have not been manifestly hurt by it. Either they grow in a sense of their own importance, or they imbibe an angry, contentious spirit. You see what he's saying here? He he was talking at the time about authors specifically who wrote like think pieces on, on the, the controversies of the day. In fact, in this case, he was writing a letter to a young Christian man who, a friend of his, who had begun publishing his own hot takes on the issues of the day. But really, I think this applies not just to authors who write controversial books. No, perhaps it applies to people who regularly talk about today's controversies, sharing their hot takes in conversation or posting their opinions incessantly on social media. He's saying, when we deal in that long enough, it starts to change us. It starts to harden us. He says, either either we're going to grow in a sense of self-importance, or we're going to become angry and contentious. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you seen that happen in your own heart at all? Maybe in others? To the degree that to the, to the, the more they get caught up in disagreements, publicly especially, it's kind of changed them. It's hard to put your finger on, but something's different. He goes on, John Newton goes on to share these piercing words. He says, What will it profit a man if he gains his cause and silences his adversary if at the same time he loses the humble, tender frame of spirit in which the Lord delights? He's saying, what's the point? You can win, but what's the point? Christ's goal is that his people know him and become more like him. Where does you, proving your right, fit into that goal? That's a question I need to ask myself. Especially if it means compromising your own character in the process. Wouldn't we do better to pray for the one with whom we disagree? Pray for ourselves in the process too. Last thing we need to take away from this passage and then, and then we'll stop. The Apostle Paul makes it so clear. We need help to agree in the Lord. So to agree in the Lord, we have to see each other the way that Jesus sees us. We have to set our goals to match with His goals, but we need help. As well to agree in the Lord. Look at verse three one more time. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Help them together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. It's not clear who the true companion is here that Paul's referring to. Some people think that it was a specific person that Paul's asking to help, or some think that he's using just a, it's a strange way to refer to the whole congregation. Not clear, but either way, the point stays the same. Others are needed, others needed to get involved, to make peace. And, 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 and that's not meddling in this case. It's not meddling. It's peacemaking. And you know how Jesus feels about peacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers who are willing to get involved. To prayerfully risk even their own relationships to try to bring healing and help. We need help to do this. Because left to ourselves, sometimes we're going to go to war. And we need a brother or sister to come along and remind us this is not your enemy. Two quick clarifications as I, as I end. We've been talking about disagreements here. I'm not talking about sin or false teaching in the church. Sin and false teaching must be confronted. It must be rejected in the church. But even there, we need to walk carefully, don't we? We need to ask, is what I'm confronting here really a matter of sin? Heresy? Or is it an area where Christians can justifiably differ and still live in harmony together? Too often I've seen people speak of other Christians harshly, quick to accuse them of sin or compromise, with sarcasm and insults. And and then to justify that, folks will sometimes say, well, you know, Jesus was harsh sometimes. John the Baptist was harsh. Called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Paul called false teachers dogs. I'm just being like Christ calling them out. There's a problem with that, though. They, those, those men, Paul and John and Christ, in those cases, they were not talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. They were not even talking to sincere non-Christians. They were talking to religious abusers and con men when they used that harsh language. Abusers, con men, threats to the church. That language was reserved for people like that. People who were impersonating Christians and harming them. And secondly, that kind of language was never the norm for Jesus, or for John, or Paul for that matter. For every instance like that, there are so many more instances where these men engaged Christians and non-Christians with remarkable gentleness. That was the norm for them. So so, so listen, we talked last week about imitating one another. Don't imitate people who model their communication style on angry Paul or even angry Jesus because chances are they don't exhibit the character of those men, especially not the character of the Savior himself who exemplified gentleness and died for enemies. Instead, imitate people who disagree well, not, people who, who don't ignore disagreement but also don't seize on it eagerly. Imitate people who consistently engage others in good faith with charity and patience and, and, and see others the way Jesus sees them. That's the one clarification I wanted to share with you. And the very last clarification is this. Being of the same mind, agreeing in the Lord, doesn't mean that disagreements are all going to disappear, does it? But it will completely transform the way that we engage in those disagreements. So, so don't please don't hear me say, look, th- disagreements don't matter, there- there's no way to know who's right most of the time anyway, so, so just forget about it. We all believe the same gospel anyway, so-, so don't sweat the differences. That's not what I'm saying, that's certainly not what Paul's saying. That- that's-, that's conflict avoidance, that's not peacekeeping, and it's not healthy. At times, disagreements may be unavoidable. But but agreeing in the Lord in the midst of them, that is seeing each other through Christ's eyes, having the same goals, Christ's goals for ourselves and for each other, that will change the way we engage one another. And it actually will increase the chances of, of a wise, God-honoring outcome. It may end with one Christian being persuaded that they're wrong. And you might be that Christian. Or it may end with both Christians walking away holding on to their present convictions, but with a better understanding of their sister's perspective of why their brother thinks the way he does, which means that there's been growth in wisdom, there's been growth in empathy, all because they adopted the attitude of Jesus, all because they adopted his mind towards his beloved people. Let's set this as our goal, New Hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, for the peacemaking that I've seen in this congregation. I thank you for the, the, the disagreeing well that I've seen in this body. And yet, Lord, we, we don't pretend that somehow we're above <laughs> these tendencies to go to war, make everything an issue to fight over. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be people of deep conviction, wise conviction but also of people who see each other the way that you see us as beloved longed for brothers and sisters for whom you died and we pray that our goals for one another would be the same that we would want to see one another know you and enjoy you more become more like you and see more people believe the gospel help us to not betray and undermine that gospel with our words and actions towards each other, even when we don't see eye to eye. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.